you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Without further ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss. I'm just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Absolutely not. Welcome to Buckets and welcome to another Friday happy hour. And today it's a very special Friday happy hour. It is all things Steph Curry. This is the Steph Curry Appreciation Happy Hour. I'm your host, Brandon Anderson, here with Matt Moore. And uh, folks, Steph Curry is now officially the greatest shooter in human history. He pretty much has been officially for, you know, half a decade now. But he's officially, officially it now. He broke Ray Allen's record the other night against the Knicks, 2,900 74 and counting already 2,977 higher than that. By the time that you listen, going to keep on going, Matt, we saw history. Was it everything you expected? It was, you know, um, I talked a lot on the pod and in writing about how I thought Steph was going to break it in MSG. And he did that. He was going to want that moment on TNT. Um, unfortunately for you, Indiana on NBA TV was not <laughs> a big enough stage. For him to break that so uh he winds up with breaking the record in msg it's a huge ovation everyone goes crazy for him reggie's there which i think is really cool like having those guys there to celebrate for him i think it's cool that there's not like any sort of you know because there's a lot of sometimes the older players are reluctant to give up their spot in history and those guys aren't i think that's cool you know it's it's interesting to kind of look at how far curry has come just because you know lebron's been doing this he's been um one of the most dominant players like he was amazing as a rookie right and like they didn't make the playoffs and there was a lot of holes in lebron's game but that was 2003 so with lebron it's about like he's had so many phenomenal seasons in a row with curry the supernova type of just like i mean it was it was only seven years ago that he really became important in this league like prior to 2015, well, I'll say 2013. It's only been eight years since he's really become important. I would say 2013 was the first year where it was like, hey, like the Warriors are going to make the playoffs and the Warriors are pretty good. And like Steph Curry could shoot. Um, I mean, they knew that he could shoot, but not that degree. Yeah. And then 2015 was like the start of him becoming like a phenomenon. And um, it was a cool moment. I think it's it's cool to witness. Uh, my dad asked me this morning and he was like, do you think he's the greatest shooter in history? And like my dad. You know, it's not his fault that he he asked that question. My dad's, you know, not not a super basketball person. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's like pretty much there's no question. I told him I was like, look, I've, I've, I'm actually somebody that I feel like has perspective on this, Brandon, where sometimes this historical stuff, like you know, I was three when Bird and Magic were going at it 
in the finals, right? Um, I was negative like 20 when Wilt and Russell were going at it in the finals. And so like, I don't have the kind of context on history, but the three point shooting era starting in 79, like I was born 82 and they really, nobody really took those threes until starting in the nineties. So I feel like I have, like, I've seen the evolution of all these shooters. Like I watched Reggie Miller's career. I watched Ray Allen's career. I watched Steve Kerr's career, all these guys. And so to, to under, so I feel like I have a better understanding of how great the magnitude is. Um, so much so Brandon that I will give you this take. Are you ready for this one? Okay. We say that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter in NBA history. Okay. What we mean by that, as we do all every time that we say this, is that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter in NBA history so far. That's what it means because we don't have any idea of what the future holds. So throughout the course of history, what's been in the past, he's the greatest shooter of all time. I will posit you this. I believe there will never be a better shooter than Steph Curry. And I always lean towards the idea that someone will be better. I think someone will be better than LeBron and Jordan someday. Like on an infinite enough timeline, these things will happen. I will tell you that the percentages I believe are in favor of no one ever being better than Steph Curry at shooting a basketball. I don't have a counter argument against that. Like I, I, I'm not mad at that. I think I basically agree with that, but he is, you know, as, as uh, Bret Hart would say, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I think that's Steph Curry as, as a shooter. And, you know, there was some talk Tuesday night about like, well, you know, let's not reduce the Steph Curry as the greatest shooter. Let's not take away. Like we're not taking away. Steph Curry is all the other things too. This week is about the shooting. This week is about being the greatest shooter. You don't, you don't just win MVPs and titles by being just a shooter. No one's really worried about that at this point. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Steph has probably a top five handle all time, right? I think he's up there from top five handle. Um, this has been my argument, and I think it does matter. Steph's a great finisher. I'm not arguing that he's not a great finisher. Statistically, he's a great finisher. The reason he's a great finisher is because of his three-point shot, because teams are so scared of it. If you watch the spacing on more, if you go back and I've like, I've done the work. Okay. I'm known as like a a Curry, not critic, but uh, just somebody that like, I haven't enjoyed his rise the same way other people have. Matt Moore hates Steph Curry. Like I can objectively talk about it as mind blowing. The difference though here is if you go back and you watch one of the things is his like he's the best off ball he's literally the best off ball mover in NBA history. That's a very narrow thing, but I do believe it's true. Like he moves better off ball to create looks because this is part of the thing is people know like don't let Curry shoot. You know, he gets doubled at half court and he's not every time just rising up and firing over double teams. Like he honestly does that very little especially these days. He did a little bit in 2016, hard to blame him. Um, but like he works hard to create shots because he's not six ten. He can't just rise and fire like KD, right? So he works really hard to create those things. But if you watch the layups, two things happen. Like he used to really struggle with layups. And like before, honestly, 2015, this was a problem for him. And what he kind of adjusted was he started doing going to scoop layups and he started taking them from further out. I always laugh because I'm like, you realize what this means? Curry had to make layups harder for him to hit them at a better percentage. Like that's, that's like the most Steph thing imaginable. He had to make those things harder. Steph isn't going to go in and, and like take contact and finish a tough layup through a bruising defender. So like the idea of him being like an elite finisher is a little bit altered. The reason that he's a great finisher is because teams have to overplay that three point shot 
so much that he gets them behind him. And then he's got a breakaway. Like there were a lot of possessions where he will have two guys behind him that were so worried about the three that he has pump fake and then split the double and then has a shot at, a, at like a scoop layup over a defender at the rim. And like the layup is, is it like it's efficient and high percentage and he can hit some wild ones for sure. But to me, it's still indicative of at the root of everything with Steph is the three point shooting. That's not degrading him. Like it, Curry having one element of his game that opens up everything else is pretty normal for NBA players. Like, Jordan LeBron, who I don't think most people will argue Curry is better than some Warriors fans, but most people won't argue better than are awesome at everything. Kevin Durant's awesome at everything. Curry is so phenomenally better at this one thing better than Curry, Jordan. I'm sorry, better than Jordan LeBron or KD are at anything. He is so much better at shooting that it opens up and makes everything easier for him. He's a decent defender. Uh, He can be good in a, a very good defensive system, his effort level is high, which I think matters a lot. Like he, he cares about defense, right? But there's nothing that I point to with Steph Curry. And honestly, like, this is the biggest thing. I, I've been on this for a while. This is Steph Curry's best passing season of his career. If we look at him historically, if you really break it down and you go back and you watch every pass, not every assist, every pass, you're going to be like, wow, that's awful. Like, like he's sloppy. Like, he is just sloppy. The placement isn't great. He'll miss guys. Like, not a great passer. This year, he's a phenomenal passer. I want to make that clear. He's, like, I've been genuine. As somebody that I care about passing more than anything else, he's been phenomenal. But I will just say, like, Michael Lee, who I respect a lot, and I consider a friend, was the one between me. Like, don't, don't reduce him to just being this. It's that you do have to start everything with Curry is the greatest shooter of all time, and that makes him one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't take anything away in the same way, you know, James Harden had the thing last year about Giannis where it's like, oh, well, you know, take away all the dunks from Giannis and the, the <laughs> domination of the pain. And like, well, that's what he does. Like you can't take away the thing that makes him the thing. Like that's, it, it's a similar sort of situation. If so, we take away your money, you're not the legend in the strip club that you are, James. Come on now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no comment. Uh, <laughs> so I want to add, I, I, you know, you know, I love my numbers. So I, I found just a bunch of fun numbers. I'm just going to sprinkle a few in here and there. So at age 33 right now, Steph Curry is averaging. And remember, he's on a, like the coldest shooting streak of his career at this moment right now. Like not an exaggeration, actually the coldest shooting streak. He's averaging 5.4 made threes per game, which is the highest in NBA history at age 33 on the coldest streak of his career. He's averaging 13.4 three-point attempts per game, which is also the highest in NBA history. By the way, as of recording today, Thursday, Steph Curry is shooting 39.9% on threes. It is the first time of his career that he is below 40% for the season. And by the way, he's not going to finish below 40% because he never does. That's the whole point. If you look at the career threes per game leaderboard other than Steph Curry in human history. One person one time has made 300 threes in a season. That was James Harden. Steph has seasons of 324, 337, 354, 402. He has a 400 three-pointer season. We don't have anyone else with a 300 and he's on pace for 435 this season. So another thing I learned today, I didn't even realize this to looking at it. Other than the 2016 season, we know Unanimous MVP, like everything went ballistic that year. Throw that number out. Otherwise, 
since Steph's rookie year, 2010, his three-point attempts per 38, per, per 36, as, as his career has gone on, his three-point attempts per 36 have literally gone up every single season. Every season, he just keeps taking more threes. And the crazy thing is, I still don't think it's enough. He still should be shooting more threes. Like, he still is shooting too high of a percentage, even though he's shooting the most absurdly difficult threes harder than anyone else in the league. He's still not shooting enough. He's still too efficient. He should be taking more threes. So he's taking more threes than ever. I agree. His passing is better than ever. I've heard some people say this is the best version of Steph Curry yet. I don't agree with that. What do you think about that statement? Oh boy, that's tough. Um, first, I want to go back to something, by the way. Uh, you mentioned that Steph has the only other, uh, Steph and Harden have the only um, 300 plus three point seasons in NBA history. I do want to give a shout out to Buddy Heald, who doesn't get enough credit no. for being the, the volume shooter that he is. Uh, Buddy finished last season with 282. The season goes uh, the full 82 games, and Buddy probably gets into that 300 yeah, conversation. Sure. Um, leave it to me to want to bring up Buddy Heald in this very conversation. Uh, here's what I'd say I think this is the most complete season he's ever had. I think his control over the game is better. I think 2016 was such a bizarre chaotic like this is what's kind of crazy and the Warriors will admit this to you they didn't really even play that great over the back half of the season after the insane start like they won 73 games and they don't think that they played great because a lot of it was like they were so caught up in what was happening and like they literally that was what happens if you just heat check every single night if you just go into every single game and you're at your best and you just are heat checking constantly, but they weren't playing discipline. They weren't playing controlled. Steph has a much better, I think, understanding now of how to attack defenses to open things for his team versus just like the thing was with clay with where clay was at that season and where Draymond was, they were just able to get whatever they wanted at any single point. And if they couldn't, they just took a contested shot and he went in anyway. And Steph this season, I think, is a little bit more driven towards, okay, if you're going to overplay me, I'm going to drive, which is going to force you to respect that, which is going to open up things for my teammates. One of the things I think that is kind of interesting to ask is, like, how much better does Steph make his teammates? Which the argument is his gravity gets them all open. So that's why, because his gravity is gra so great. Um, great. He's actually averaging, like, his assists this year are not as prolific as they have been, right? Like, not a top five season for him and assists. I do think he is actively making teammates better than ever. I, I think that that's genuinely like a thing that he is genuinely making teammates better this season at a higher rate. I don't think that he has the same kind of supernova chaotic energy that he had in 2016 yet. Oh, a tease. I like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, that's why he is the MVP favorite deservedly. So, the Warriors are at the top of the league. There's no Kevin Durant on this team. There's no Clay Thompson on this team right now. There will be soon. So that's terrifying. But right now you look at the roster and it's like, yeah, Steph is the offense on this team. And that, you know, they've surrounded him by the right people this year. So they've got shooters and like, that's not ripping on the bench. The bench has been awesome this year. The role players have been fantastic, but they're still role players. They're, they're there to play defense. They're there to shoot the open threes. 
that they're getting because of of Steph and and because of Draymond. Uh, I think Draymond is an important part of the conversation too, because the the same way that we talk about, you know, like the, the critics for Michael Jordan always have to bring up, well, he didn't win anything until Scottie Pippen showed up and, and vice versa. Like Steph and Draymond are a combo package. We, we don't know how to untangle them. They, what they are is them together. That's what we've seen them be. I don't think that Steph would be what Steph is without Draymond. And I don't think Draymond would be what he is without Steph. What they are together elevates each other they're understanding the game where each one of them will be the way, like the perfect combo of two guys trap Steph 40 feet from the hoop and he drops it off to Draymond. Who else in history would you want in that spot going downhill, getting, you know, as a big man, essentially getting those passes off. It, it's the perfect combo. I, I always have thought Draymond Green was clearly the second guy on this team ahead of Clay Thompson. And so I, I love this year, I'm happy Clay will be back. I'm excited to see it. We love Clay. We love to see him on the court. But seeing what the Warriors are right now with Steph and Draymond doing their peak thing without Clay yet and without any other really great players, I think that that sort of shows just how much those two are what make this team tick on offense and on defense. Yeah, I think maybe the better, the best way to kind of describe it, I think, is that Clay Thompson before the injuries was probably a better player than Draymond Green. And what I mean by that is just like this is kind of the KD versus Steph question, right? Like, what can you do? Like Steph, like Clay can do like a bunch of different stuff, like top line defense. Like he was a he he was really like an elite defender. Maybe he'll be when he comes back, but he was like an elite defender. Not as good as Draymond, but an elite defender. Um, you know, could do some stuff off the dribble that kind of diminished over the years because he he became such a spot up weapon. Um, but in the early on, he had like a lot of moves off the bounce, could finish, et cetera, all these type of things. But I think the best bare way is just like Draymond is the most important player behind Steph for that team. Like the the most yeah. important player is is Draymond. Like this was a big thing that I kind of like pointed out last year was in the MVP conversations. Um, when you looked at the impact that Draymond had on the Warriors last year, like that was one of the things that I could see coming about this year. Why I was so high on the Warriors is if you looked at how Steph was with and without Draymond last year, it had a big impact on their wins and in their advanced metrics, because when Steph was on with Draymond, they were plus 13.4. And for a long time last season, I'm sorry, this, that's this season. Um, last season, when Steph was on the court with Draymond, they were this, they were plus 6.9 when Steph Curry, great shooter of all time, MVP candidate, Steph Curry was on the court without Draymond green last season. They were minus 3.2. They got outscored when he was on the court without Draymond. So that doesn't mean that Draymond's better. That's like, this is the stress point. Doesn't mean that Draymond's better. It means that in order to unlock everything that makes the Warriors go, you have to have that combo of those two guys. I think that's one of the reasons why the Warriors haven't traded Draymond. They've looked at it. Like, I'll tell you, like the Warriors have, have, have explored that before. That's not a surprise. Like they've considered it. I think they've been not close. I think they've been within range of being like, maybe we should really look at this about various offers. But one of the reasons I think that they've kept him is not only the relationship between those two guys, but what Draymond does to give them so many opportunities for Curry. And when Clay comes back, that only adds to it is that if you overplay Curry, Draymond's going to hit, hit Clay. And if you overplay, if you try and cover both of them, 
I will say this too. When, when Curry gets hot, one of the best things is that Draymond has a great sense for when Curry is going to go off and he looks actively to get him the ball. Like more so than most, like most, most guys are like, all right, like I'm going to try and get Steph a shot here. Like let's run an offense and all right, the play calls for Curry. So I'm going to look for him. Draymond is like excitedly running up the court being like, give me the ball. We got to get Steph a shot right now. Cause he's, we have to keep getting, letting him shoot. Cause he always is looking for those moments. And he, they have a sense of what it was like in 2015 and even more so 2016 when they would go on those runs that were just mind boggling. Like there's not a more explosive team in NBA history than the Warriors. There's not when they hit you. I mean, it is a tidal wave and you don't recover. Yeah. It's and over. Raymond's ability to understand those moments, I think goes along with all the on basketball stuff. It's his sense of the moment. I think that matters not as much, but up there um, for why he's so important to Golden State. Yeah, I agree. The, the understanding of the game and of the moment for both Draymond and Steph, but especially for Draymond, it's the both of these players are two of my absolute all time favorites to watch because of the shooting for Curry, because of the understanding of the game uh, everywhere. Offense, defense, the moment, the whole thing with Draymond. Uh, I, I love hearing him on on the podcast, just talking about the game, his podcast, the Draymond Green podcast, wherever it's called in the volume network, just his understanding of the game, of his teammates, of the moment. Uh, I think even too, it's been a big deal getting Andre Iguodala back this year for similar reasons. Just the another like all time, I understand and think about this game differently than 99% of the people, even in the NBA, is Iguodala. And it's just like, that's the sort of collection that, that they've gathered there. I love to talk about, I agree when Steph gets hot, Draymond is like single-mindedly, I have got to get him the ball. The only thing you know about how good of a shooter Clay Thompson is, is when Clay gets hot, if you think Draymond gets single focused on Steph, like if Clay gets hot, Steph won't shoot. They're like, the only thing that matters in the entire world, like the nuclear, like everything is melting down all around the world. We're in a pandemic. It doesn't matter. Pass the ball to Clay. Pass the ball to Clay. Pass the ball to Clay. Like that's all that matters is just get Clay the shot. So I, I'm excited to see that. Hopefully soon. Maybe maybe for Christmas or soon after. Um, so I, I have. I was trying to remember exactly how often. So I don't make it to a ton of NBA games yet. A few year usually non-pandemic times. But seeing Steph Curry play in person to me is is like practically a religious experience. Like. Uh, especially if I'm with friends, I'm just like giggling like a schoolgirl the entire time, just giggling, watching the shots. You still have to get there an hour or two before the game and watch the, the, the shooting routine, the practice. And like the dude just like stands at half court and drains 10 shots in a row. And I was like, all right, yep, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. You know, you got the shot from the tunnel. So I, I know you've seen stuff play in person. It, it, am I alone in this experience or is is this just like a, like, how does Steph in person rate for you compared to other great, great players you've seen? Well, first off, I'm going to need somebody to Photoshop pigtails on you as you talk about skiggling like a schoolgirl. <laughs> um, so I, I think um, the 2016 year was something different where I've never seen people show up early to an arena to watch a guy warm up and the buzz in the arena and how much electricity there was in that playoff run around like media members skipped the coaches pregame talks in the Western conference finals to go watch Steph warm up. That's unheard of. Right. Yeah. He was just such a phenomenon in the cheers and like the way the crowd was and like everything and the buzz in the arena, whenever he gets the ball, 
even still is so palpable. Um, I personally think it's not great for the league to have opposing players generate this in arenas. Like you should want like your own team and you should want to be there for your own team. But like, I mean, this happens in most of the markets when Steph gets the ball in an opposing arena, the fans are excited. Like they want to see the show that he's going to put on. It's not like football, right? Like Randy Moss catches a football and you're on the other side of it and you're mad. You're not like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what Randy Moss does. Like, that's not a thing. Right. Um, Hockey, no matter what else, like you just, you don't have that kind of feeling. Maybe, maybe back with Gretzky. Um, And like, but like in basketball, we've seen him with a few players and the, again, I talk, kind of talked about this, the chaotic energy when they get going and you can kind of tell that they're pushing it and they're trying to like hit you with a run the way that the, like, there's just this electricity in the air. Um, that's, I was in the building for thunder warriors game six, 2016, the clay um, game, the clay game, but Curry hit like a bunch of those too. And just seeing like, Here's the other thing. If you are in a competitive, serious environment versus that team, the amount of terror that is palpable, not only with fans, but the players on court, like it's a uniquely different experience. Yeah. Just like the absolute panic that Curry sends teams into. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, look, I, I do think that his popularity, while not what it was five years ago, because that year really was different. Um, his popularity was something that is special and rare. Like a lot of really great players have never just never been that popular. And his, the way that kids, especially I think attached to him, if you have like childlike wonder, Steph Curry was for you. Um, which explains a lot of why I was kind of always like, okay, shoots another, <laughs> shoots another three from 35 feet and it goes in. Okay. Neat. That's great. Um, like I, I'm still amazed because like, People still freak out. Like people still, like you'll see on Twitter, like people freak out when he hits a 35 foot pull up three. And I'm like, guys, he's done it like 700 times in his career. Like there is nothing, (laughs) there's nothing new here. This is not unusual. Matt Moore hates Steph Curry. Um, Like Bones Highland for the Nuggets takes these shots. The difference (laughs) is just that Curry makes them every time and you expect them to make it every time, you know? Um, it, it view watching him as a, is a different experience. I will say, um, one of the things that gets missed in all of my, uh, whatever you want to call malaise about him is how impressed I've always been with him as a professional, mm-hmm. you know? And like, he's had moments. Like, I think the 2016 finals was like, you know, throwing the, the, the mouthpiece and spitting about how it's rigged and all that. Like, I think it was a bad moment. You know, he had the worst turnover in finals history, in my opinion. Um, but, but at the same time, like from the very first time that I, I talked to him, about, so this is what's funny. Um, his first all-star selection, th- when you do the all-star availabilities or used to, when, you know, we were able to see players in person, um, it used to just be like a ballroom and you could, and there were hell these tables and players would come and certain guys, like when LeBron would enter the room, like all of the international media was there. All of the major reporters were there. It was this huge, like just pile massive pile of people but that meant that if one of those guys was talking the lesser known guys were kind of by themselves and i used to have some like really good conversations at these all-star things with guys that were like i have to like i would be like okay well i'll leave you alone 
and they would and uh curry didn't do this but some players would be like look man i have to be here like i mand i have to be here before i go to the next thing so i need someone to like to ask me questions i don't want to be on my phone so i was like all right you know so i was sit there and talking like i thought jared wallace for like 15 minutes because nobody was coming by curry has such a small small collection of people around him in his first like all-star appearance like it was so it was just wasn't that many people so like i sat there and asked him a bunch of questions and and this comes off every time that he does media he really is like he's for having been raised by an nba player growing up in the nba being the all-time best shooter being a two-time mvp being a hundred you know a 300 million dollar man Curry's ex- exceptionally humble. Like he's very personable in person to talk to. And I think that's one of the things that's really good about him is like, he does not come off as above it all. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, I think it's good for LeBron's public persona that he does exist. And like, he is a, like, he's above everything. Like he's LeBron. Right. I think that's good for his persona, but Curry has always just kind of eschewed that. I think there's real value to it. Um, so that's kind of like my experiences of covering him in person. I think there's never like the electricity is really the big thing that I don't think yeah. I'm ever going to be able to, to tell my kids in, in detail. Like I'm never going to be able to like convey what it was like because there was just this chaotic electricity every single time that he touches the ball. Yeah, I agree. It's when you're in the arena and I can only really, I can only think of LeBron and Steph that I felt this, the gravitas of just, you know, when they're on the court, every person in the arena has one eye on LeBron or Steph, and then one eye actually watching the game and everything else that's happening. But you have to watch LeBron, you have to watch Steph at all times. And you, you just know, you know, there's this shared experience that every person in the building understands implicitly you have to watch this guy right now and the, the closest thing i can think of like when that shot goes up and the expectation of what you think is happening when you're watching a lebron game and you see someone get onto a fast break but then you notice lebron is like two steps behind the arena reacts the exact same way as a steph three-pointer like the the collective oxygen goes out of the arena. Everyone sucks in their breath like, oh my God, it's about to happen. He doesn't know, but we all know. That's how we feel when the Steph shot goes up is like, oh, there's a murder happening to the basketball nets right now. And we're, we're watching it happening together. Uh, by the way, 2016, I did go to one of those Warriors games. I went to a game at the, the winning streak, the start of the year. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm watching every game. So I went to Milwaukee to catch him in person. The Warriors are 24-0. I'm excited. Let's see Steph in person. The Warriors are 24 and one after that game. So happy I got to make it for that one. Uh, I've had terrible luck getting to big Steph shooting night games, uh, but, you know, still happy to be there. Yeah, I was there like two hours before the game. It was like packed, the streets everywhere. Just people can't, like couldn't wait to get in and watch Greg Monroe beat up on Steph and the Warriors that night, um, <laughs> which he did, by the way. They had no answer for Greg Monroe. <laughs> I, I remember, the thing I remember about that game, too, so I forget, the, the Bucks are up like 8, 10, 12. Like, the game is over. There's like 50 seconds left. You know, the Warriors are shot at this point. They come off of like a multiple overtime game in Boston a couple nights before. Clay was his first game back after missing some injury games. They're just, they're done. They're spent emotionally, physically, but they still like, so Kerr calls a timeout with, I think under a minute left. 
and pulls the starters. Like, okay, yeah. guys, it's done. We lost. The streak is over. And they, they wouldn't come off the court because they're like, no, but, but there's still 50 seconds left. We're going to win. We're the Warriors. We win. We always win. And like, they genuinely just thought that they would still win somehow, even though every, every time the dagger would come like, okay, here it is. There's the stuff shot. Here comes the, you know, the, the, the big avalanche. And it just didn't happen that night. They were like, over 20 on daggers, but they, they thought it was coming. So it, it, there's nothing like that in person. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, l- let me jump in with the, uh, a few numbers here, more numbers. So games with seven made three pointers all time. James Harden has 42. Damian Lillard, 37. Clay Thompson, 30. J.R. Smith, 29. Steph has 25 this calendar year. <laughs> this year he has 25 and we're not done with the calendar yet. So that's seven threes all time games with nine, three pointers, 87 people in history have had a game with nine, three pointers. 20 people have multiple games. Steph Curry has nine straight seasons with at least one game of nine made threes. Other than that one season when he only played five games. Let me ask them, what are these numbers? Like, how do we contextualize them? All of these numbers are at once astonishing and unsurprising to me. Do you feel the same way? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so, so what we what we keep seeing for years now, right? So, like, I am genuinely, I, I'm genuinely interested in this question of like, I do, this is one of the things. Steph is so good at shooting three pointers specifically that I don't know how any number, yeah, like penetrates to really. Re- the only one I've ever been able to find that I that in my mind hits me is 2016. Because like I've called 2016 like the greatest three point. Uh, I've called 2016 the greatest offensive season in NBA history. I think I still probably believe that. It's close, but I think I still probably believe that because he hit 402 on 45 percent from three. 45 percent from three. There's a lot of dudes in the league right now not shooting 45 percent from two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so my question with these numbers is. What do you want them to convey beyond like if we accept like the gap is so huge? I don't like I don't know that there's any number that's ever going to be able to like illustrate the gap between him and everyone else. Does that make sense? It does. So actually, my my literally my first article that I ever wrote that was an article that was not just Brandon blogs about things to his friends that actually turned into an article was the day after the Warriors season ended, the 2016 season. And it was me doing that or trying to do that as a numbers person, trying to contextualize what in the world do we do with all these numbers? And I I knew at the time that this angle I'm about to say was not fair. But what I tried to do is I said, okay, it's not just 402 threes. Like we know that seems like a high number, right? 402, that seems like a lot. But he broke the record by so much, and I forget exactly what the percentage is that he was higher than than anyone in history, that I tried to look at some of the other records across sports to say, okay, imagine what Steph just did this year, breaking the record by like 30, 40%, whatever it was, that it would be akin to, you know, the home run record in baseball right now is what, 73? It would be like if somebody went out and hit 100 home runs next season, 100 home runs in a season. Or it'd be like if Usain Bolt came back at a retirement and ran like a six, 500 or like the, the amount of difference 
that Steph is putting distance wise between all these records. Like to me, the absurdity of it is the point. Like it's, it's so far, you think about like uh, bell curves and standard deviations and, and that sort of thing. Like Steph Curry doesn't fit onto the chart. He's, he's like five, six deviations off the chart that just above the, the absurdity of any of the numbers that we can. So to me, just being overwhelmed by the greatness of the numbers is the point. Um, but you're right. Like that we don't, at some point, 10, 20, 30 years from now, we'll have more context for these numbers because more guys will do this. We know we're, we're taking more three pointers. Now we're going to get more games of nine, 10, 11 threes, whatever. And then we'll have proper context to be able to look back and be like, Oh man, in that era to put those numbers up, even though what it seems like the shooting era right now, we know it's going to keep moving that direction. So I think it's going to take more history to, to get to some of those numbers. Um, the, let, let me just throw in a la- last couple numbers here. So 10 threes a game, six players have multiple games with 10 threes in a game. Steph Curry has done that 22 times in his career, 10 threes, 22 times. Uh, if he just started playing basketball in April, he would have the most games all time with 10 three pointers. He has 20 or there are 26 games all time with 11 threes or more. Steph has 12. So half of them basically. So just absurd numbers. We know the numbers. This is a betting podcast. So I know that you looked up some of the betting angles I want to talk quickly about 2015, 2016, those Warriors seasons. So talking about some of the odds on Curry, the MVP odds, the title odds, what that looked like for those years. Yeah. So 2015, nobody, nobody saw coming. They really didn't. Um, the Warriors were plus 2,800 to win the title in the preseason. 28 Ooh. to one on a title winner. Um, Curry was plus 1,600 in 2015, 16 to one. It really was like that much of a, of a just phenomenal come out of nowhere. Um, I think maybe the lesson to take from that for betters is mostly that you need to look for coaching changes of great players, mm-hmm. right? Because we've got Giannis under Bud and then we've got Curry under Kerr. Like, I'll just say like, I don't, I, I am adamant about this point. Steve Kerr does not get enough credit for what has happened. Uh, I watched that team. Like I was in the building for the 2013 series where they upset the Nuggets. That was more about the Nuggets than it was about the Warriors. And Draymond Green also shot. Draymond Green had a 45% effective field goal percentage in the regular season in 2013. He had a 71% effective field goal percentage against the Nuggets. A lot of things went bad at the same time for that Nuggets team uh, versus the Warriors. The, the following year, if it hadn't been for the Donald Sterling disaster that put the Clippers on tilt, the Clippers probably won that series in five games. They probably went 4-1. So the, the Warriors literally went from a 4-1 first round out, not a very serious threat, to the best team in the league and winning the title in 2015. Steph Curry didn't dramatically change. Klay Thompson didn't change. Draymond Green didn't change. They started Draymond Moore. The difference was Steve Kerr. Um, so like, I think that's kind of the lesson is to look for these opportunities where there's an, a pop, but I will say this, we didn't know how Kerr was going to be. There was a lot of criticism for Kerr sure. at the time for firing Mark Jackson. Um, not, not great in, in retrospect, looks pretty good as a move in, in retrospect, that criticism is not all right for them. Um, the more accurate comparison, I think this year, honestly, is so everything got out of whack once KD joined, like everything just gets like exact because it's just like, how do you not bet on the Warriors? Like, like all this stuff, right? The value gets, gets really warped with KD. Um, 
In 2016, Curry was still plus 650 to go back to back for MVP. That's a little bit more in line with what we're seeing this year. The Warriors as a team were plus 550 when they opened in preseason. This is via sportsoddshistory.com. They were plus 480 by season tip. So that is a little bit closer to kind of what we saw this year, right? So if you just take 2016-17 to 2020, 21, and you remove it and you act like none of that happened. You just blip it like Thanos and you just move this year back. This is almost like if the, the books had come in and been like, well, okay, the Warriors were great, but they can't do it again. And now they're doing it again. Now it's not that same because the Warriors are older and we saw them last year and they're getting good performances from Poole and Toscano Anderson. And they upgraded they upgraded the season in meaningful ways that I don't think people realize much like that 2016 team, like the 2015 team, people didn't like realize like what Sean Livingston was going to give that team, you know, but that was a big part of it. Um, they didn't realize how good Andre Iguodala really was going to be under this curse system and all these types of things. So there was a lot of factors that added in, but I do think if we're comparing them, honestly, the value comparisons are more close to 2016, which is they got a decent amount of respect from the market, but not as much as they should have. And if we look back on sports odds history and we kind of look at the history of how that season evolved, um, we do kind of get the same sense of um, the odds makers were still slow to adjust in 2015 in particular. Like they were plus 800 on on December 1st in 2015. Um, It wasn't until like right before the playoffs, April 1st, they were still plus 225. Right. So like we're seeing a, a, a sharper correction now than then. Um, and in 2016, they were minus 128 by April 1st, obviously, with a 73 win season. So I think kind of what we're seeing is there's still good value now. If you think the Warriors are going to continue this, you're going to be looking at probably even to a minus number for them to win the title. Maybe not with the Suns, probably just around an even number sometime in March and April, maybe plus 175 considering the Suns and the Jazz. Um, if you want to still get value on the Warriors, I do think your time is running out. I think you want to get this done before January 1st. I think after the start of the new year, you're going to have a hard, once people start paying attention to the NBA, I think you're going to have a hard time getting value on, on Warriors futures props. Yeah, especially because Clay comes back too. And we don't know what Clay will look like, but we know that Clay works as hard as anyone in the NBA. If anyone is going to look the same or something similar to the same clay is that sort of guy to be able to do. We just saw Durant do it. And, and, you know, Durant is an all-timer, obviously. So it doesn't mean anyone else can, but the Warriors already being this good and then getting clay back and the perception of clay back into the lineup can only potentially push the line even further. So um, yeah, it, it definitely is a spot to get in on that. A little victory lapping for us. You and I joked on the podcast and I wrote about, there were actual books that allowed us to bet on Steph Curry to lead the league in three pointers per game this season. That's yeah. a real thing that we put real money on at minus 167, which first of all is absurd that someone is that good that he gets a minus number before the season. And second of all is absurd that I wrote in the article, I would have made the line minus a thousand or longer. And even that I, I would be bleeding money right now if I was a book and could take those bets because it's like, it's, it's the lockiest lock that ever locked. As long as he gets enough games in. I bet that and, at five different books. Yeah. Five different yeah, books. Have, I found that prop and I took it. 
And, and a victory lap for you. You were all over Steph as MVP before the season, too. I was I was stuck on just Giannis. I thought there'd be a Steph value later. I didn't expect the supernova start. What number did you get Steph at in the preseason? 900, baby. Nine to one. That was the best yeah. value I got at. I bet it at nine. I bet it at seven. I bet it at six. Um, yeah, I mean, look, that's looking like great value now. Um, I don't think it's a lock. The good news is, though, like this puts me in a great head position. You know, I can take shots on Giannis. I can take yeah. shots on Jokic, which I have. I can take shots on KD um, because I've got the favorite at, at 900. Like, this is one of the things is like, this is why I built a big position. Now, like my 900 has to cover things like my Zach Levine and Jason Tatum that, that Raheem talked me into. Like we talked about this. I bet on a lot of guys. So it's not like I picked the one guy I bet on a lot of players, but Curry was my biggest position. I had more money on Curry than I had at Giannis by the time of the season tip, despite the fact that I thought Giannis was the best value. I wanted more money on Curry for the upside. And that looks great. Now I'll probably add to Curry. I still think that there's going to be value on him. Um, as the season goes along, you know, look, I think KD has a real shot. I think Jokic has a real shot. If they can go on a run, they got to get wins. Jokic's numbers are absolutely there. Um, KD is the interesting one. And I still think that there's value there, um, on him. Giannis is, is really tough right now for me because I just don't know if the bucks are ever going to be healthy enough or in a position to make the kind of run that they need. Like, they just, it, you know, it, it's been a weird season for them. They're definitely coasting. I just don't know if they're going to get there. Um, but I'll probably, I'm going to be adding on to Steph Curry because I still think that if, if, especially if you look at it now, you mentioned the worst shooting stretch of his career, he's below 40% from three right now. If he, if he regresses back to where we expect him to be at 42% and he's still taking this many threes, it's the Warriors are going to be able to compensate for any defensive slippage that they might have and still be beating teams by double digits. I still think there's value on Curry. Imagine positively regressing the 42% three pointers. Like imagine being that good at a thing that we can confidently say, Oh yeah, only 40%. Sorry. You are ice cold right now. Don't worry. Your percentage will go up again soon. That's stuff. Um, I I do want to mention one more uh, victory lap. Yeah. Um, It's going to be tight. I need KD to settle down a little bit, which I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I also got, Steph at a plus big plus number to be the scoring leader this season. Mm. For some reason, that was not a thing. I was really surprised when I saw that. I was like, why, why is Curry not on this? Um, and if you look at currently for the season uh, points per game, Durant's number one at 29.6. Um, Steph's all the way down right now at number four at 26.9. So he's got to make up 3.5. But I will say, I have a lot of confidence that Steph can go up because again, we're looking at Steph at the, like the lowest point of value here. I think he'll probably go up as the season goes along versus going down. I think there's a chance that he winds up averaging. Like I think him and KD is going to come down to the wire for most points per game this season. Yeah. Well, I think too, we've had a lot of, a lot of games where Durant has to play heavy minutes because there's nobody else there and he's carrying them. We've had a lot of Warriors games where Steph is just laughing on the sidelines for the fourth quarter because they're blowing teams out. So that is going to even out a little bit too and give Steph a little more opportunity. Uh, I I think one other thing to mention here as we wrap up is I just want to talk about Steph's place in history and what this stretch, this 2021 stretch has done for that. I can honestly say I did not know that we would ever see this Steph Curry again. You know, we saw 2015, 2016, we saw those years when Kevin Durant showed up, it just, it changed things. It wasn't the same stuff because it didn't have to be the same stuff anymore. And then the injuries happened both for the entire Warriors team. And then for Steph, we lost an entire season of his prime. 
and the, the roster didn't look good. They're paying like through the nose on the luxury tax. I didn't know that we would ever get this version of Steph again. And that we're getting it in the regular season to me, I think is the most important thing for his place in history, because we already have the titles. We already have the greatness. We already have the peak. What we haven't had, what Steph hasn't had to match up against the truly great all-time greats is the longevity of the regular season numbers. And we're adding that back in now by getting these seasons, a third MVP, if he gets it this season, puts them on a list with Kareem, Russell, Jordan, LeBron, Wilt, Moses, Bird, and Magic. That's it. So for me, coming to the season, I had Steph 14th on my all-time rankings. To me, between getting an MVP or another ring or finals MVP, the MVP moves the needle the most. To to be able to have another all-time, all-time regular season like this, and to hopefully add a couple more, at least in this stratosphere, top five, top 10 type seasons. That's what is missing on his, his resume. Uh, not missing, but it's compared to the other truly great top 10 guys. For me, if Steph wins MVP this year, he moves into the conversation for 10th on my, my top 10 as truly a, a possible top 10 all-time guy. So I think the regular season numbers that he's getting and the production is the one piece that had been missing a little bit. And uh, I think somehow, historically, we might, even in this moment, be kind of underrating his place in history. Do you think I'm crazy for any of that? No. I think it's weird that this is such a question. Like, I'm, I, again, did not indulge in Steph mania. I do not giggle like a schoolgirl. I tend to roll my eyes. Like, you he takes one of those pigtails, though. He takes one of those pull-up threes from 35 feet. And I'm like, okay, great. This is not basketball. Like, I love how difficult basketball is. I love the strategy of it. I love trying to figure out defensive schemes and rotations and making one play. And it should be difficult and hard. And stuff makes it look extremely easy. None of this speaks to my basketball soul. Okay. However, if he winds up, even now, let's say he doesn't, let's say he finished a second to KD this year. Okay. Two-time MVP, a second place finish. Wherever he finished last year, uh, three titles. They got a shot for a fourth this year. Um, he's got, is he, wait, wait, hold on. 15 and then 15 and 17 and 18. Yeah, three titles. Um, all of these things, the greatest shooter of all time, the greatest offensive season of all time. You know, the, the first question is like, is, is Steph Curry a first ballot Hall of like, Fame? No, of course he's a first ballot Hall of Fame. Like that's not, that's been settled. I, I don't really understand how he doesn't want, like how he's not top 10 right now. Like I haven't made the list, right? Like I have like a, a general idea of my top five, which is probably Jordan, LeBron, um, Jordan, LeBron, uh, Tim Duncan, actually, I think he's critically underrated for what he did, what he did. Um, I would have like Steph in the Hakeem Olajuwon range, right? Uh, which that sounds crazy, but to me, Hakeem is literally the best center of all time. Like he is to me, is he is the best center of all time. Um, I think there's an argument for Steph Curry to be top five. Like I do. Like I, I think there's a very good argument for Steph Curry to be top five. I think if you want to put him, if you're somebody that goes for like the historical stuff, and you're like Bill Russell has to be third. Uh, that's totally good. Great. Fine. No. No. No problem there. Right. Um, 
But like, I think if you compare Magic Johnson and Steph Curry, their impacts on the game are relatively similar. They really are, yeah. you know, and you look at titles, you look at MVPs, you look at performance, you look at what they did for the game, how they revolutionized it. Like there's a comparison there. Like Steph Curry is as good as Magic Johnson, at least offensively. I think there's an argument yeah. there. I think there's a serious argument there. And if anything, like if, once you start comparing the numbers, it's not going to be very close. So Curry is going to go down, I think, in retrospect, especially what will happen is I've seen this happen with a lot of guys. When Curry retires, he will be a magnitude greater historically than he is right now. We're not able to capture guys at the moment. It's when we get to the end that we look back and we go, oh, my God, like, look at it. Like, look at this, you know, and you remember those those the 2015 t- title run will exist differently. And the 2017 team with Durant will exist differently then than it does now. Um, and I don't know what that says, but it will help. Um, I just think that Steph Curry is very likely going to go up there and there will, be, there will be people that will consider Steph to be one of the greatest players of all time. And that I am not going to yeah. have much of an argument against it when you look at the resume. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, the, the hole in the resume thing that I'm talking about is just the, the number of great seasons. And if I have Hakeem outside of my top 10, but it's the same reason. It's because, so I went through, I, I've gone through every season, done my own MVP battle, like top 10 for every season. And Hakeem, I have as four top five seasons all time or top five in that season MVP. Steph only has five right now. Obviously, this is going to be a sixth right now. But if you look at the top 10 list, like Jordan's got 10 of those seasons. LeBron has 13 of those seasons. Magic, Russell, you know, Wilt. Like these guys have 10, 12 of those top five MVP ballot type seasons. So Steph only having five, it's, you know, it just is what it is. It took him a while to get to the peak of his career. We lost the one year in the middle. We didn't know if we'd get back to it because of his size, because of just what was happening in the Warriors. So to me, I think historically, that's why this rates very highly for me. But I agree. It's somehow we're going to look back on this. And we've had we spent so much time on the Jordan LeBron thing from these two eras, you know, and, and I'm about the same age as you. We grew up with Jordan and now we've gone to the LeBron era and we kind of have missed Steph in the midst of all this. no. No, no, we have not missed Steph. Well, I'm sorry. This one I will call BS on. Steph gets a more positive view from media than almost any player in NBA history. Steph is a phenomenon. Steph is the like flurry of Twitter. There are people that are going to talk about him as a great. We are not missing Steph Curry. Like we have okay, captured Steph Curry. We're not missing Steph Curry. I think that if you pull the general public, that if you ask them who is a better player, who ranks higher in NBA history, Steph Curry or Kobe Bryant? I think that Kobe would be the overwhelming answer to that question based on the era that we've grown up in. And I don't think that that's even a conversation. No comment. I have zero. I want to get out of this conversation as quickly as possible. All right. Zero comment on this. Well, that seems like a good place for us to wrap on Steph Curry then. So that is a wrap for our Friday happy hour, the Steph Curry appreciation hour and uh, had a lot of fun just reminiscing, enjoying Steph. And I, I think too, being able to, having seen the world without Steph for a couple of those years in there when he was missing has made me appreciate that every game we get to watch all all the silliness and all the goofiness and the pigtails and the giggling. I no longer take for granted uh, what we had started to take for granted in 2015, 2016. So I'll be watching, I'll be watching Steph on Christmas. We don't know how long we're going to get Steph doing this sort of thing. And we don't know if we will ever, ever, 
ever see something like this again from an NBA player. So Steph Curry, he's awesome. This has been the Buckets podcast for Matt Moore. I'm Brandon Anderson. We'll be back next week with obviously a very special Christmas preview episode coming to you before the Christmas games. We've got our fantasy episode Monday and more episodes to come here at Buckets on the Action Network podcast network. Let's get buckets. Let's get buckets. Let's get buckets.